Hey guys, back on the couch for the Live Fit Podcast. Today I've got Hayder Coding here joining me today. I'll let you introduce yourself, mate. Uh, hey, yeah, I'm Hayder Coning. Uh, I'm a PhD student at UWA. Uh, I'm in my second year of my PhD and I'm um, studying structural biology. Yeah. Cool, man. All right, well, let's kick it off. Um, so for my listeners out there, um, what I've got Hayder on today is talk about uh, well, one structural biology, a bit about what DNA is. A little bit about CRISPR, if you don't know what CRISPR is, um, structural biology, uh, along with COVID and a few other cool things. So let's kick it off, Hayda. Uh, what is DNA and what is RNA and proteins? Okay. Um, well, I guess one of the first kind of concepts they teach in molecular biology and structural biology and just biology in general is this idea about the central dogma, um, which is basically a this kind of process that underpins all living things. So every every living thing that you can think of has the central dogma happening in it, which is uh, basically this process where DNA gets turned into RNA and then RNA gets turned into proteins. Um, yeah, and I guess a lot of people ask why, because DNA and RNA are, are very similar molecules. A lot of people ask why. Why does RNA? Why is RNA a thing? Why is there no just DNA straight to proteins or something like that? And I always like to have this analogy in my head, where it's like, if if DNA is the kind of core instruction manual for how an organism lives or something like that. Um, yeah, go, go, sorry, going back to the analogy, I have this analogy in my head of like, say you have a, a business or something like that, right? And there's this instruction manual that every employee needs to read. What is the best way to have all those employees read your instruction manual, right? So, you know, obviously you could let all of them look at it one at a time or use it one at a time, except for you'll have one person reading the manual and the rest just sitting out and doing nothing. Or, you know, you always run the risk that some intern fucking spills coffee on the manual or something like that. And then your manual's broken. So the manual is DNA. The best way to have every employee look at the manual is to make photocopies of it, right? So you photocopy your relevant page of the manual and give one photocopy to all of your employees. So that's what I think of RNA as, a photocopy of the instruction manual. And then proteins in this sense are the product of what the instruction manual says. So an employee will look at his photocopied page and, uh, I don't know, build or do some kind of task that's, that's set out to him. Cool, man. Yeah. Love it. All right, so um, what, is, uh, what is structural biology and why is it important? Yeah. So um, a lot of things like DNA and RNA and, and proteins we know about because of this field called structural biology, which is basically a kind of hybrid between physics and biology where, where scientists use techniques invented by physicists, which are very complicated, to look at, um, you know, biomolecules, to work out what their structure is uh, and how their structure kind of impacts what they do. So DNA was um, discovered basically by structural biologists and they worked out, you know, it has that, that kind of duplex double helix structure you see in kind of every science fiction movie that was actually experimentally determined by structural biologists. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What year was that? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I think it was in the 50s. 50s yeah, 50s well. or 60s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very cool. And that was quite, that was quite a massive leap. In, huge, um, huge. Yeah, because before huge. that, there was no... Well, there was, I think, indirect evidence of DNA and stuff like that, but no one kind of knew what its actual structure was. So when they found out um, 
that it formed this kind of amazing double helical structure was was a huge breakpoint in science. Yeah. Yeah, and um, just in your own opinion, like what yeah. are, what do you think some changes that happened? You know, like what was one one of the main um, main things that changed in science between now and then with structural biology? Oh, okay, that's a <laughs> that's a difficult question. I mean, there are a lot of pipelines in science that use structural biology to develop certain things. So um, one, probably one of the most famous and useful ones is structure-guided drug design. So the idea is um, you have some kind of disease or some, some illness or something like that, and you realize you can boil it down to a protein or some kind of biomolecule behaving weirdly or doing something strange. Uh, then, you know, a bunch of scientists, structural biologists and pathologists and stuff like that, work together and they'll they'll bring a, a structure of this molecule out and they'll realize okay maybe it's a protein receptor or something and they'll realize okay well this receptor is doing something funny but if we design a molecule based on the structure of this receptor that fits into it like a drug or something we can turn it on or off and we can kind of help with this disease state wow yeah. That's cool. So, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, well, one of the questions here is, mm-hmm. um, how many proteins and protein coding genes are in the human body? I love this question. <laughs> um, so, through a lot of uh, like human genome sequencing and stuff, uh, scientists have been able to map basically a lot of like what genes in the human body do and stuff like that. And they've been able to estimate that about... Uh, there are about 20,000 to 25,000 uh, protein coding genes in the, um, in the human body. So um, I guess by a classical definition, if you think that one gene codes for one protein, you already have about yeah, 20,000 20, to 25,000 different proteins. But that's not true because it gets more complicated. Wow. So when you have... Um, so I was talking about the process from DNA to RNA and RNA being the photocopy of the DNA. When RNA um, gets read and turned into protein, there's this process called alternative splicing, which uh, basically your RNA strand before it gets read and turned into protein is made up of these things called introns and exons, right? So they're different regions in the strand. And introns are non-coding regions, so they don't code for the protein, but exons are coding regions. And before it gets read by uh, the ribosome to get turned into protein, this, this machinery can rearrange the exons and skip certain exons um, to include them in the final sequence that gets read by, by the ribosome. So you can actually have different uh, types of, or different varieties of exons coding for different proteins from the same gene. So in the end, you, get, you can get up to 10, 10 different proteins coming from one gene, which uh, bumps up the estimate to about apparently 80,000 to 400,000 different proteins in the human body. Wow, yeah. So that's that's quite a lot of different yes. proteins. <laughs> yes, a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that you know, um, in my limited understanding, yeah. is that you know that that codes for everything to like the length of your fingers, yeah, like your yeah. hair color, your eye yeah. color, your yeah. sleep. Like it's amazing mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. you know um, one letter could be out in yeah. in, your, in your DNA or um, you know, uh, yeah, would, yeah, yeah. DNA or could, the amino acid sequence. Yeah, yeah, in, amino acid sequence, and that could. Um, determine whether you can survive or four hours yeah. sleep a night or yeah. you need eight hours sleep a night so like you know, that's just one letter or mm-hmm. you know it might be that your blood or your body turns against itself or it's, it's so so fascinating yeah. and um, again you'll know more than me on this but it seems to be such a fast moving um, science like there's, there's always something new to learn uh, which is really really cool yeah definitely it's definitely a, um, 
a fast moving field. Um, I think one thing I really, I think is really cool about the field is that it's, it's, it's still, I mean, sure, we, we talked about the discovery of DNA earlier on and it's been around for whatever, 50, 60 years, longer even, but it's still very much in its infancy. And I mean, that the good thing about that is if you're an up and coming scientist, there is so much to be discovered in structural biology because there's, like I said, there's, there are up to 400,000 proteins in the human body. You could just study one for, for X amount of years and, and make discoveries about it and stuff. So there's a lot to be learned and a lot to be, yeah. I guess, uh, rewarded. Yeah. yeah I, suppose, I suppose that puts into perspective too, like how hard it is to actually make um, drugs um, to combat disease or viruses mm -hmm. because you got to take into account how it affects almost every one of those yeah. proteins. Like it's not, you can't just go, this does that yeah. and affects that. It's like, well, what is it? You know, what could be the chain reaction to... Yeah, how does it affect the rest of yeah. the system around it? Definitely, yeah, definitely. That, you know, that's probably something that isn't widely spoken about mm -hmm. when they talk mm -hmm. about designing um, designing drugs for you know, viruses. Well, I mean, the, sci the scientists definitely take that into account. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise, yeah, otherwise yes. I, yeah, I would yeah, be taking uh, publicly, design drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, cool. All right, so uh, mm. next question. Uh, how many possible proteins exist in the human body? That's what you yeah, just, so yeah, we just spoke about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, what experiments uh, can be used to investigate protein structures? Yeah. Okay, so that's, um, that's a good one. Um, I guess the most famous... Uh, kind of experiment, experimental method to, to look at protein structures in DNA and RNA is X-ray crystallography. Um, so this is kind of this process where, say you have a, a protein you're interested in, um, you would you know, purify it out of cells and basically ensure that you have a solution, so some kind of liquid solution with maybe 95% or like as much as pure protein of the protein you're interested in, in that solution and you can then put it in these trays and add all sorts of additives that uh, basically cause the protein to crystallize. So um, when you have protein crystals, right, they form these nice kind of ordered lattices and you can actually shoot an X-ray beam through a crystal and based on the, the pattern that comes out on the other side, back calculate what the structure of the protein is inside the crystal. So that's how uh, those people discovered the structure of DNA. Um, but that's how people like, so many scientists uh, use X-ray crystallography to work out the structure of biomolecules. Um, is that still the same process they use today? Yes, yep. it is. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's changed a little bit here and there, but it's still kind of the same. The idea is exactly the same. Um, and it's, it's really effective, but it's not so effective at some proteins. I, I, the limiting step is that your protein has to form crystals. If it doesn't, then you basically can't use that technique because you don't, you know, you don't have a crystal to shoot with your X-ray beam. Yep. Um, so that's where you'd maybe use another technique like electron microscopy, which is, um, I'm trying to think of another analogy. It's, it's basically like, um, you know, when you hold your hand up to a light and do like a, do like shadow puppetry. That's what you do in your spare yeah. time? Yeah. No, no I, I don't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. 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 Wait, I, I'm, I'm great. <laughs> you, hold, you hold your hand up to a light and you make a shadow puppet, but think about electron microscopy is basically that, but it's not your hand, it's, it's a solution of proteins and the light is not regular light, it's a beam of electrons. So your beam of electrons will hit a grid that has your sample on it and if your protein's in the way, it'll bounce off and if your protein or whatever you're looking at is not in the way, it will shine through. Wow. So that way you get the same kind of idea, you get this yeah. like contrast image like a shadow puppet but it's with a beam of electrons which has a really, really small wavelength so you can look at 
like very tiny things like proteins or DNA and things like that. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So that's another technique you can use to look at um, the structure of molecules and stuff. And then there's um, all sorts of variations of those techniques which you can use as well. Yeah. Yeah. Is there only a few places in Australia that have the um, the facilities to be able to use those techniques? Yeah. 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 Um, UWA has an electron microscope and a X-ray crystallography setup. Um, Curtin can also do X-ray crystallography. Um, and then there are the, you know, universities on the East Coast that can do that as well. But it's not like, not everyone does it, yeah. Yeah, of course. All right, um, moving on, mate. So mm. next thing uh, we're gonna talk about is Christmas. So something yep. that um, you love and what got yep. us talking mm-hmm. originally is, um, you know, the the joys of what that is. Yep. So I'll let you explain. Um, what is CRISPR and how's it work? Okay. Um, so what is CRISPR? Okay, well, CRISPR was first discovered um, in bacteria. So it's a form of kind of adaptive immunity. It's a way for bacteria to fight against viral infection or viral infections. So uh, normally bacteria get attacked by these things called bacteriophages, which are viruses that uh, bind to the outside of the bacterial cell and then inject their DNA inside the bacteria. So uh, the aim of this is that so the, the, the bacterial machinery can read the virus DNA and basically make the components of another virus inside the bacteria. And that keeps happening until there is so much virus inside the bacteria that the bacteria explodes and releases the rest of the virus. So it's pretty pretty gruesome. Um, but yeah, a bacteria have evolved a way to, to fight back against the viruses. So when... Um, it's amazing how this happens on such a small level. Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. So when 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 uh, the viral DNA gets injected into a bacteria, they have this, they've evolved this kind of system where um, uh, proteins from the bacteria will will take a part of that DNA and store it in this thing called a CRISPR array, which is basically a, a, like a library of sequences that come from different viruses that have infected bacteria before. So they have this library. It's like almost a memory of viral DNA sequences that have been in that cell. And this then gets turned into the RNA version of that, right? And another protein called Cas9 comes in, binds the RNA version of that. And then this Cas9 RNA um, complex will go around the inside of the bacteria and look for the viral DNA. And then it will bind the viral DNA and the Cas9 protein because it's what we call an endonuclease, which is an enzyme that that cuts DNA, will actually make double-strand breaks in the DNA and then basically destroy the viral DNA. So it's a a way for for bacteria to remember what's infected them and then actually fight it by destroying the DNA that the the bacteriophage uh, injects inside them. Wow. So that's that's how it happens naturally. But um, this was discovered by scientists. And basically they thought to themselves, oh, we can, this is really cool because we have a system that targets a protein based on a very specific RNA, they call it a guide strand, to different, to basically wherever the guide strand points the protein, right? So they thought, okay, well, maybe we could use this same idea and try to direct Cas9 to chop, I don't know, genes uh, in an experiment that we're interested in. So say... Uh, a good use of a CRISPR system would be you have a gene and you don't know whether it's important in an organism or something like that. So you decide, okay, let's let's just delete the gene and see what happens to the organism, right? That's, that's called a gene knockout. So that's how scientists often probe whether a gene is important for the survival of an organism or not. So you generate a guide RNA 
that is specific for that gene, right? You inject the CRISPR system into the cell. It'll go around the cell and find your the gene that it's specific for, make make a double strand break in it, and basically knock out that gene. And I guess if the organism survives, it's maybe not so important. But if the organism dies because you did that, you know it's probably an important gene, right? Um, so yeah, that's one potential use of CRISPR is to find out. Uh, I guess on, on an experimental level, what genes are important and what genes are not important. Um, but you can also do another thing, which is called a gene knock-in, um, which is basically the opposite of a knockout. You, you, it's the same idea. You find a gene that you're interested in in making a break in, but then you have a sequence you want to insert into that area. So Cas9 will go there, make a double strand break, and then you can insert a sequence that you want to insert in that area instead of the sequence that was initially there. So this is fantastic for things like, uh, potentially fantastic for things like inherited diseases and stuff like that, because if you realize uh, someone has a, potentially might have a child that has some kind of inherited disease and you can actually fix that by inserting the right gene instead of, uh, I don't know, a mutant gene or something in that area, you might be able to, to cure that disease. That's really fascinating. I've got a question on that. Yeah. You don't mind me asking, but how early in the process of, like, you know, whether that's um, early as a fetus or mm -hmm. embryo, like, how early do you have to intervene before that? Could you do that after the child was born? Or does that yeah. have to be? Uh, it would have to be quite early, I think, because you. So, do you know what the difference between somatic cells and germline cells are? No. Okay, so germline cells are your your sexual reproductive cells. So in uh, an organism basically all their cells come from the original germline cell which divides and turns into other cells and somatic cells are cells which which kind of come from that so they're non non-sexual cells yep. right so for something to be heritable for all the cells in the body it would have to be a mutation in the germline cells so that means uh, yeah at an embryo level but you can still make changes to somatic cells, but it would maybe only affect a certain cell type or things like that, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. All right, going to the next question. So um, I suppose like CRISPR in a way is, uh, it is a form of genetic engineering. Yeah. Yep, cool. Um, what is, uh, or why do you think there, in your own opinion, like mm. why do you think there's a stigma around genetic engineering and um, is it something to be afraid of? Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, thought about this question a bit. I think... I mean, mainly is there something to be afraid of? It's it's a very CRISPR in particular, and just gene editing techniques. It's not they're not outright bad or they're not outright good. You know, it's just a technology. You can't say a technology is is evil or a technology is good. It just depends on the way you use it, right? Yeah, and who's using it? Exactly. Yeah. So I think yes, maybe there is something to be scared of if someone's using it to do terrible things, right? But also the, the, the possibilities of doing fantastic things with gene editing are, are really, really good. So, um, yeah. Uh, I, heard, I heard, again, only a theory, but uh, on how you know, it could be used to advance humans for space travel, like to be able to make yeah, us... Yeah, you know, like, maybe. Um, Was this to do with like bone density and things like that? Yeah, that and yeah. Um, the amount of oxygen we need to yeah. in order to um, survive. So that, that, I just found that so fascinating, yeah. like how that could... You know, advance humans as a race. Yeah, because yeah. there's that whole problem. I, I, I don't know much about this, but there's that whole problem where it's like if humans were to live on Mars, that the gravity is too low for you to like maintain normal bone density over an extended period of time. So yep. you'd need like really, I think, 
yeah, you'd need really, really dense bones to be able to live on Mars if you were to cope with, with the gravity on Mars and stuff like that. So I guess, yeah, you could probably edit a, a human embryo for them to have really dense bones, but I don't, I don't know how that turned out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Cool, mate. All right, on to the next question. Yeah. So um, what could be the potential uses of CRISPR and genetic injury? I know we just touched on that last question, yeah. but like, what, what are some uses that you see in the future? Okay. Um, so definitely, uh, I touched on, um, I guess, first one was uh, doing knockouts, yep. so probing what the function of certain genes are, and you could do that. You can do a gene knockout in, in any organism you want, right? People do it in plants as well, or things like that. In any organism that has kind of this central dogma process. I suppose going on. that's a part that's been around for a while, is uh-huh. how people edit plants and crops to be able to survive, exactly, and grow in seasons. Exactly. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, they weren't meant to. Mm-hmm. Like they've been doing it and you know seeds for such a long yeah time. exactly so yeah that people have been generating like crossbreeding different types of yep. plants and strains and stuff to to generate and that's kind of a similar idea of trying to breed out the best of a, of a, of a plant um yep. but yeah so you could sorry back to the question you could um do knockouts and stuff like that but i think the strongest kind of coolest use case would be gene knock-ins so inserting what you want in place of something because you that you're kind of rewriting the genetic code of the organism in a way um so i guess the possibilities when you use that are kind of yeah endless yeah that's where you get the term designer babies come from yes yeah i think so yeah yeah being able to like you know choose a particular intelligence or yeah. Um, yeah. particular talents so whether they can run fast or jump higher yeah. or um, whether they have blonde hair or black mm-hmm. hair or mm-hmm. blue eyes or brown eyes um, yeah yeah it's, it, it is really fascinating um, what's your opinion on that? On designer babies? Yep. Well, so it's got a weird name to it, isn't it? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it does yeah, sound it like does. it's like, I mean, know, designer cars. <laughs> I think that it's kind of raises, so there's always this ethical dilemma. It's like, yep. if you, you know, if you were going to have a child and you knew that they had, um, some kind of mutation that caused, that would give them probably a high chance of giving them some serious strife in their life but you had the capabilities to correct that mutation using gene editing. Would you do it or would you not? And there are arguments for both sides. I mean, uh, religious people are kind of, I think, against the idea generally. Um, and also there's a lot of, a lot of actually, a lot of scientists argue that we don't actually know enough about genetics and, and you know, the whole sort of way uh, cells and proteins and the whole the how, the how the whole system works for us to kind of go in there and start editing things and you know affect like real living people basically yeah that in like uh, the correct term was germ line, germline cells yeah. germline cells yeah so if that was what was being affected mm-hmm. um, you know and something for whatever reason didn't go right amongst other proteins or the DNA that could effectively affect yeah, generations yeah, generation of humans. So, so, so yeah, it's all that would be heritable. Yeah. So if you did something wrong and that person was allowed to, or had children, it would be a heritable uh, mistake, most likely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, could, it could be very interesting, you know, if in the next 10, 20 years that became a part of technology, how that could almost change laws on, like, you know, if you had undergone this type of procedure or mm-hmm. this time of gene editing. Like and there was something that didn't go right. You yeah. weren't allowed to reproduce. Yeah, like you were almost taking away your right yeah. from that by having that technology used yeah. on you. So yeah. it's, it's very interesting how that mm-hmm. could you know affect almost the entire. Um, yeah, definitely. System. I, I yeah. thought about that actually. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, cool. All right, mate. Moving on. So, 
Um, anything else on CRISPR you want to touch on? What was that? What were, what were we talking about? Use cases, right? Yeah, use cases. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, and, I, forgot, um, I forgot about a really cool... Of forgot, yeah. a, forgot about another really cool use case. So, um, so we talked about this system where you have this guide RNA strand that will target Cas9 um, to certain regions in, in the genome. But scientists have also realised that actually they can mutate Cas9 a little bit and actually just deactivate it. Well, yeah. and a- attach other proteins, so other enzymes to Cas9 that will do other things to DNA. So it's basically a scaffold for targeting whatever you want kind of designer enzyme to regions of DNA. So like, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's a platform for building, I guess, a DNA sort of targeting system as well, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's cool. There's a really lot there, cool. isn't there? Yeah, 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 like yeah. so many... Yeah. Like you said, it is it is almost like limitless of mm. what you could um what you could achieve. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially in the medical world of um yeah, with so many people suffering mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that could be taken away. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, like potentially, uh-huh. but at the same time, it's such a unknown world of what could go wrong. Um, yeah, cool, mate. Moving on now. So, uh, structural biology and COVID. So, um, so we touched on that. Cool. Let me go down here. Yeah. Uh, next question. So um, what is an experimental determination of protein structures and why it's important? We, we covered that. We covered sure. that. We yeah, talked yeah. about crystallography and electromicroscopy. We and, did. I Sorry, guess. that's my yeah. fault. Moving on to the next question. Uh, so how is structural biology related to COVID-19? Okay. Yeah. That's a good question. So, um, so I talked a little about bacteriophages previously, which are a, a type of virus that attacks... Um, bacteria obviously COVID-19 is also a virus um, a lot of the components in COVID-19 are proteins so it's basically the inside is a, is a RNA genome and then you have this kind of lipid layer around it and then you have these spike proteins on the outside so uh, you know we've talked about how you can use these methods to study proteins and of course you can use these methods to study the proteins in COVID-19 um, and basically, again, we talked about that pipeline where you can look at a protein you're interested in, uh, put it, you know, crystallize it, shoot it with x-rays, or look at it under the electron microscope, work out what its structure is, and then design a drug to help with that. I mean, you, people are doing that exact same thing with COVID-19 right now. Um, yeah, exactly. So you could, I, I guess, the biggest, biggest sort of use case would be to design... Um, drugs that would combat COVID-19 based on the structure of the proteins on COVID-19. That's very interesting. Like it's, it's, um, COVID-19 itself is very similar to a lot of other COVID type diseases that we've had in the past, Mm -hmm. isn't it? So it's, um, it's quite interesting how, I suppose then if you listen to much media, you think COVID-19, like COVID itself, um, as a, as a virus is a new thing, but Mm -hmm. it's actually been around for a a long time. So, um, I I found that really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, cool mate. So, uh, can structural biology help with the development of antiviruses? Again, another question. Uh, antiviruses yeah. and understanding viruses. Yeah. We'll touch on this a bit, but I'll let you, let yeah, you go for it. Yeah, uh, sure. So, um, can COVID-19 help with the development of antivirals? Uh, definitely. Um, so I was reading a bit about how <clears throat> the some of the proteins on the outside of COVID-19 are what cause it to bind to uh, our cells and, and cause it to bind to the outside of our cells. So, I think there's a lot of development in trying to work out structure. There are actually structures have been published. Structures were published. I mean, COVID-19 hit 
uh, earlier this year and like literally like a month or two months later there were structures all over out there published about COVID-19 receptor protein blah blah COVID-19 this so people were very very fast at working out the structures of, of different things which was really cool and surprising um but I think there's a lot of development going on on trying to block some of these spike proteins binding to our cells and stuff like that based on this idea of a working out what the structure is and then designing something to kind of fit into it or design something to bind to it yeah so definitely structural biology is probably the one of the main tools to help fight COVID-19 yeah cool mate all right so um that's all the questions we've got come through so far so let's go on a, a bit about your own personal journey like what yeah, got sure. you into studying what you do yeah um and what yeah go from there okay what got me into studying science um well my my dad's a scientist so my dad's a physicist I um, mean I think he was just kind of from an early age was like my son is going to be a scientist and kind of you know yeah <laughs> and raised me to be a scientist um if you haven't seen hater please check out his profile you know you honestly looks just like a mad scientist <laughs> yeah um so yeah i think my, my dad has been a huge influence on me um my my brother is also a scientist and my brother is also a physicist funnily enough uh so he's also been an influence on me um i'm, I'm always from an early age i've been really into like science fiction um, so like, uh, like aliens and stuff like that, which it kind of sounds unscientific, but like when you, you know, work in a field where, where people are like editing genomes and creating, you know, all sorts of strange things, it starts to become more and more science fiction than ever. So, yeah. um, I guess the line between science fiction and actual science is getting blurred more and more every day. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess th those are the main influences on me. Cool, yeah. man. Um, let's put ourselves forward. Uh -huh. Let's say fifty years from now. So, um, fifty years from now, what would you this hope be seventy four? <laughs> <laughs> be at the prime of your career. Yeah. That's when all That's greatness. The new, new twenty. <laughs> <laughs> That's when all greatness is made by great yeah. scientists, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, true. Great, great. Fifty years of no greatness. <laughs> fifty years of work to reach yeah. greatness. What was it fifty-year overnight success? <laughs> yeah, yeah, is the word. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's put ourselves forward in fifty years. What mm. would you like to see um, from the work you're doing today mm -hmm. and the work you'll be doing in the future? Where would you like to see uh, structural biology? Where would I like to see it? Okay. Um, what would you like to see it doing, or what would you like to see? I think it would be cool to have a really, really fast. I think the problem with some of these drug design pipelines that I talked about previously is that they're not like they're, they're quite slow um and i know it makes sense because there are a lot of steps you know you have to work out the structure design a drug test it do heaps of tests but it would be cool to have a really really fast uh pipeline for this kind of thing so if you know another virus came out you could literally just boom work out what the structure of something important is and then develop a drug i don't know in like a week or something because then you know that'd be an amazing like medical discovery um but yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens over fifty years. I think. I think it might be possible. Um, what else? Uh, yeah. I. I guess. I'm pretty pro. Uh, pro CRISPR. So uh, I think I'd like, to see uh, a lot of heritable diseases dealt with, because um, I think that'd be that'd be really good for people, really good for the human race. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's that's the main ones. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. Um, Something you're talking about there um, with. Uh, like moving forward to the mm -hmm. future with CRISPR, for example, is like almost as a human race, when you mentioned about you know, where we could move forward, what, mm -hmm. what potential do you think we have? 
And what would you like to see in the human race? What would um, I like to see in the human race? Take um, and inherit diseases. Yeah, I'd like I'd like us to live on multiple planets. Yeah. I think that'd be really uh, really good for us because if something ever happens to Earth or something, you know, one of our planets, at least we live on other planets. It's kind yeah. of a, you know, yeah. that, you know, contingency plan for the human race. Almost. Yeah, 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 of course. And uh, one of the probably the biggest advocates well known right mm-hmm. now would be um, Elon Musk. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's definitely. doing incredible definitely. work to push for that because mm-hmm. you know. He, uh, he believes in it. He, yeah, exactly. Pushing exactly, for it so exactly. hard, which is incredible, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's um, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's yeah. I don't know. I, I can't put an estimate on how far we are from that. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, never, not a, I'm not a rocket scientist, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. being able to generate, yeah, again, make those changes mm-hmm. in the human body that yeah. would be sustainable on different exactly. levels of gravity. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, smaller amounts of oxygen mm-hmm. or heat. You know, being yeah. able to handle. Um, temperatures it's, it really is it's, it's crazy mm. what um, yeah, I say crazy but it's almost mind blowing what the potential could be yeah definitely definitely yeah um, yeah what else what else would I like for the human race I think yeah I, I think a potential danger might be if if it gets really you know gene engineering and stuff gets really popular that people might take it too far and just engineer crazy things into themselves and but I don't know it's just a prediction but maybe you know sort of I feel like if the more and more of that happens the more they might kind of depart from being human and turn into whatever I don't know something else so I would like to stay as human as possible (laughs) Um, but still have you know if there's some kind of change that can be made to the human body to make it better I, I guess that's a slippery slope um I would like to do that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, yeah. I totally get what you mean. This this comes back around to the beginning of the conversation is when you're talking about how, you know, like one letter difference in the in the um, amino acid, mm-hmm. word for it is the... The amino acid code or the DNA yeah, code? Yeah, both. Amino acid code or DNA code. Yeah. You know, it can change so much. You know, like, so changing anything that would be like a large amount of it or could have affect other other genes in the body, you know, could... You know, different size of mm-hmm. limbs, uh, does you know the face dimensions, yeah. like yeah, yeah. so many different things could change, yeah. um, which is you know is um, uh, scary in a way mm-hmm. because you said that you could almost create whole new beings, yeah, exactly. almost by mistake, exactly, um, or yeah. on purpose if you don't, I don't know. yeah, if yeah. you if you're into yeah. that, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you said like you know when you're younger you're into science fiction mm-hmm. and now more so than ever, yeah. with the things that are changing, um, that's becoming more evident. Yeah, that the lines being blurred, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Um, something else I want to talk to you about mm. is um, I think we spoke about this before but how you could increase uh, sorry upload or bind um, proteins from brain cells to, um, to computer memories yeah. Right? yeah 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 so uh, I mean I don't know so much about this but I read uh, I think a while ago there was a study where um, someone grew some rat neurons in a Petri dish or something like that and then connected them to a computer and, I don't know, through a series of electrical signals or something, basically taught the neurons how to play the game Flight Simulator, um, which is pretty funny. But uh, I, there's a lot of uh, potential out there for, I guess, interfaces between biology and, and computing or biology and, and mechanics and robotics and stuff like that so there's a lot of potential there as well which is very cool yeah yeah and like on that again that opens up a whole new window of what Mm. could be possible and Mm -hmm. you know 
100, 200 years from now. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You think we were 200 years ago yeah, yeah. Uh, in human you know, uh, in technology mm-hmm. alone, mm-hmm. where it could be in 200 years from now. Um, yeah, it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to bring up on the, on the topic of um, uh, structural biology? Let's think. I think. I think we covered most of the bases, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool, mate. Well, that's Hayley Cohn. Um, Thanks so I'm much. I'm going to chuck his details and email address if you want to contact him uh, about his future work and mm-hmm. what he's doing. Please um, click on that and <laughs> um, reach out to him. Yeah. Mate, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Cash. Cheers. <clears throat>